Well, a crisis has a way of putting things in perspective, right, and, and um, making us realize uh, that the weightiest things in the world are the things that matter most. And uh, I'm grateful we're in a passage in Scripture that uh, is especially weighty. I mean, all of the Bible is weighty, but Romans chapter 5 um, really drills down into um, some of the deepest realities of life in a fallen world and talks about the uh, significance and the consequences of whether we are identified with Adam, our father, or with Christ, the Savior. So I'm going to read for us uh, from Romans 5, uh, from verse 14 to verse 19, and then we will uh, try to dig down into this uh, deep and significant text. Uh, in verse 14 of Romans 5, Paul says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now what Paul is doing in this text is he is telling us that in some ways Adam and Jesus are alike. They are similar. But also in some very profound ways, they are different. And that all of us are either connected to Adam or we are connected to Christ. And which one we are connected to is of ultimate significance. So Paul says in verse 14, and we're just picking up the end of verse 14 here. Paul says at the end of verse 14 that Adam was a type of the one to come. Now that's not a word that we use a lot, type. We don't call people or things types very often. But Paul says that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. He was a type of Christ, the Messiah. And what does that mean? Well, a type is, is a sort of pattern. right? So you, uh, we do think about things like, like a prototype. right? So a prototype is the first device, let's say, if somebody's invented some new technology, the prototype is the first device, and all the devices that come after that that they're going to sell to the public are going to be like that prototype, that first pattern. They're not going to be exactly like it because usually they change something from the prototype to the actual device that they sell. They make some adjustments, work out some bugs and those kind of things. But that prototype 
sets the pattern for what comes afterward. In the same way, Paul is saying that Adam set a pattern that in some way Christ follows. Now, in some significant ways, he's different than Adam, but in some significant ways, he is similar to Adam. First, it's important to notice how Adam and Christ are significant. Now, Paul doesn't spell this out in verse 14, but this is what's coming in the verses to follow. You'll see how this is borne out in verses 15 uh, through 19. The way that Adam and Christ are similar is this. Both of them stand as representatives of large swaths of humanity. Right, so Adam, as the first man created, he stands as the representative of all of humanity. When he stood in the garden, in the presence of God, and received the command not to eat from that particular tree that God warned him about, When he stood there in the presence of God in the garden, in some sense, he was standing there on behalf of all of us. And what he did had consequences for all of us. In the same way, Jesus stands as the representative for all those who belong to him, for all those who trust in him. So when Jesus faced down Satan's temptation in the wilderness, when he went to the cross, when he rose from the dead, in some way he did that, representing everybody who would belong to him, everyone who would trust in him. So in that sense, they are alike. They are both heads, both representatives of a mass of humanity. But they are unlike in what they did as representatives, and what consequences they brought on those they represent. They, um, of course, Adam's main act was to sin. Jesus' main act was to obey. Adam's sin brought death. Jesus' obedience brings life, right? So in very important ways, their work is different Uh, But in some sense, it is also similar. Now, the best way I know to kind of get your head around this, get your mind around this, because this is, we're not used to thinking in these categories. The best way I know to think about this is in terms of sports. So Paul uses sports uh, to illustrate spiritual principles, biblical principles. Uh, In the Bible, he uses uh, an illustration of boxing in 1 Corinthians 9. He uses the illustration of running a race, right? I have run the race. I've kept the faith, right? I've finished my course. Like he uses sports as an illustration uh, for biblical truth. And uh, that's the best way I know to do uh, to explain what's going on here in Romans chapter five. So think about this. If you're, if you're a big sports fan, uh, you've got your team or your teams that you identify with, right? You may have never even been to a game, you've almost certainly never played for that team. You might not have ever even played that sport before, but you identify with that team. So you've got, you've got your hat, you've got your jersey maybe. If you're really serious, you might have a flag outside your front door or on your car telling the world, this is my team. Right? And when your team wins, you say, we won. 
right? When your team loses, you say, we lost, right? Uh, if you're not a sports fan, you might not be able to identify with that, right? And they're all, of the, you know, people are sort of different places on the spectrum. I remember one time being in a, a grocery store and overhearing a lady say, I'm just having a bad day because the Cowboys lost. You know what I mean? That's serious, like you're ser- that's serious identification, right? My day is wrecked. I've never played a day of football in my life, and my day is wrecked because my team lost, right? So we, we identify with them, and we, in some sense, they represent us, and so their victories become our victories, their losses become our losses, even though we didn't have anything to do with any of that, right? That's the same kind of thing, although on an infinitely more significant and serious level than sports, right? That's the same kind of thing that is happening here for us with Adam and Christ. Who are you identified with? By default, we are all identified with Adam. We're all born as descendants of Adam. So by default, Adam represents us. Only if we turn from our sin and turn to Christ, then are we now identified with Christ so that Christ represents us. But either way, you don't get to be neutral, you don't get to form your own team, right? Either way, you are represented either by Adam or by Jesus, and what each of those men did counts for you. You share in the victory or the defeat, depending on which team you're on, so to speak. Does that make sense? So what Paul's going to do in verses 15 to 19 is he is going to unfold for us the, what Adam did and what happens to those who are in Adam as a result and what Christ did and what happens to those who belong to Christ as a result. And what he's doing for us is he's giving us a lens, not only for reading the Bible, but also for looking at our own lives and looking at the whole world. We are used to thinking in terms of um, either or categories of like you're either following Jesus or you're following Satan, right? We know there are two options. You're either being wise or you're being foolish. We don't often think in terms of you either belong to Adam or you belong to Christ. But that's another biblical either-or category for interpreting the world, for interpreting our own lives, asking ourselves, where do we fit? What team am I on? What, who's my representative? Right, so, uh, in verse 15, Paul begins to describe this uh, contrast between Adam and Christ, and his emphasis here is on the differences. Right? The similarity is they're both representatives. But the differences are the things that Paul wants us to note. So you might notice in verse 15, he says, the free gift is not like the trespass. And in verse 16, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. So Paul's emphasis here at the beginning is on what is different between what Adam did and what Jesus did and the results that flow from those two things. He says there in verse 15, Uh, that many died through one man's trespass. So Adam sinned, and as a result of Adam's sin, not only did Adam die, but all the rest of us die. We saw that uh, back in verses 12 and 14, that Adam, when he sinned, 
He not only sinned for himself, he let sin into the world, and hot on the heels of sin was death, and death spread to all men because all sinned, and all of that goes back to Adam. Adam's sin has consequences for all the rest of us, and one of the chief consequences is death. But Jesus, he says... Uh, is different, right? Much more, so not just in contrast, but better and more significant and more important than what Adam did, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Okay, now that's a mouthful. What? That's, death is simple, right? But this is more complicated. He's talking about two things here. He's talking about the grace of God and a gift that we receive from Christ. Now, the reason why the second half of this sentence doesn't really land on us with as much weight as we would expect it to is because of two things. One, we don't really understand grace. And number two, we don't know yet what the gift is. We have to keep reading to find out what the gift is. So what is, what is grace? When Paul says Many died through one man's trespass, but much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Why should that abundance of grace land on us as something much greater than the death that came in the wake of Adam's sin? The reason why it doesn't land on us that way automatically is because we tend to think of grace mainly as a passive thing. Grace means... I don't have to pay for my sins. God takes care of that for me. Grace means I don't have to work for my salvation. Jesus has taken care of that for me. Grace, in that context, feels like a very passive thing. But the Bible is very clear that grace is a powerful thing. It is an active thing. It is grace that is the reason why you are no longer spiritually dead, but have been raised from death to life. Paul makes that point very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. God's through God's mercy, though you were dead spiritually, you've now been brought to life. Why? Because by grace you have been saved. It's God's powerful grace that raises us from death to life. Paul also says in Titus that grace is a power that trains us to renounce ungodliness and to live upright and godly lives. So grace is not just a sort of passive, you're forgiven. Grace is a power that enables you to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to live this way now. And so grace resurrects us. Grace transforms us. And that's exactly what we need because Adam has brought sin and death and destruction into the world, both physical and spiritual death. And so we need God's grace that overwhelms that death and brings us life and transforms us so we don't walk in Adam's footsteps anymore. So if we had that ringing in our ears and we heard much more the grace of God, we would think, yes, yes, that is better. Yes, that is greater. Yes, that is more powerful than the death that Adam's sin brought. But then we also need to know what this gift is that he's talking about. Much more at the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Paul tells us what the gift is in verse 17. Right? In verse 17, in the middle of the verse, he says again, much more 
will those who receive the abundance of grace, and here it is, the free gift of righteousness. Okay, so this is what the whole book of Romans is about, right? We keep encountering this phrase, righteousness or righteousness of God or gift of righteousness or the righteousness of God for us. At the heart of the gospel, Paul has been telling us, is this gift where God gives us the righteousness we lack. His own righteousness He gives to us so that our sins are wiped out and God justifies us, God declares us righteous in His sight. So Paul's saying Adam sinned and through Adam's sin comes death for all of us. But you know what has overwhelmed that? Jesus' gift of righteousness where your sins are forgiven and you're made right with God and declared righteous in His sight. God's grace that conquers death and raises the dead to life. Those much greater things have come to us in Christ. So Christ's work is unlike Adam's work because it's better and more powerful. And then he goes on, verse 16, he says that Adam's sin also led to condemnation. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Every person, because of Adam's sin, enters the world not innocent, right, but tainted by sin. Right? Paul says, or excuse me, David says in Psalm 51 uh, that I was born in sin, I was conceived in sin. In other words, from the, from the first moment of my existence, I have been touched and tainted by sin. Right? That goes all the way back to Adam. Condemnation comes upon all people. No one can escape it because Adam has sinned. Well, no one can escape it without Christ. Right? If you just live your life and do your thing, you're, you're under the condemnation that comes as a result of Adam having fallen and sinned and drugged the whole human race down with him. Right? That's what flows from Adam's sin. But, he says, the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Right? So there is, again is that idea of, of righteousness, of being declared righteous. So, Adam has brought condemnation on all of humanity. That's the default for all of us. But Jesus has come so that there might be justification. And justification means no condemnation for you. When you're justified, your sins are forgiven, you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, God Himself pronounces you righteous even though you know you're unrighteous. And Paul says the result of this in Romans 8.1 is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Adam, you get condemnation. There's no way around that. But in Christ, there's no condemnation because in Christ you receive the gift of His righteousness. So Adam's sin led to condemnation. Christ's gift leads to justification. And he goes on, verse 17. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Right, again, we've talked about how in Genesis, this becomes very clear as we just follow the story. In the wake of Adam's sin, what happens after Adam and Eve sin? Does every, every successive generation get to start out in the garden with things beautiful and peaceful and perfect? And No. As soon as you get out of the garden, there's murder and abuse 
and death everywhere. Right? Genesis chapter 5 is probably the clearest statement in all the Bible, besides this one right here, of the reign of death that came after Adam's sin, because it's just one man after another who had kids and lived so many years, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. That is what happened because Adam sinned, death came into the world, and death reigned. He says death reigned because nobody could overrule death. Nobody could escape it. The one exception was Enoch, right, who God took. God can overrule death, but no man can. That's a result of Adam's sin as well. But that's not the end of the story. Much more, he said, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's interesting about that statement. We would expect him to say, death reigned through Adam, but now life reigns through Christ. But he doesn't say that. He says, death reigned through Adam, and now we reign in life through Christ. Why the difference? I think the reason why he phrases it that way is because life does not yet reign. Jesus has conquered Death, But as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, there's a sense in which the last enemy to be destroyed is death and that it hasn't been destroyed yet. But even while now death reigns in the world, for those who belong to Christ, death does not reign over us. We reign in life. What does he mean by that? I think what he means is uh, what he says, for example, in Romans chapter 8 at the end of the chapter where we experience suffering and persecution and sorrow and hardship and death, and yet, he says, we are more than conquerors, even in the face of death. Why? Because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Same thing Jesus says in John eleven twenty five and 26, when he's talking to one of the sisters of Lazarus, after Lazarus has died, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. There's a sense in which a believer never dies. We do have to experience death if Jesus does not come back first. But a believer's death is an ushering into greater life, into the presence of Christ. That's why Paul can say in Philippians 1, 21-23, he says, To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Why? Because we reign even now in life through Jesus Christ. We have a life in us that we are experiencing that will never come to an end. The Bible calls eternal life. It's not something that we're waiting for only. It's something that we have begun to experience even now with, through the presence of the Holy Spirit and our fellowship with God. Now there's a, uh, one more thing I need to say about verse 17 before we move on to the last pair of verses. And that's this. Sometimes people take this passage of Scripture and use it to teach universalism. Right? So they say, look, in Adam all die, 
In Christ, all shall be made alive. That's what the Bible says. So that means everybody died because of Adam, and now everybody's going to live because of Jesus. Is that what it says? First of all, if that's what it says, I don't know why Paul is so worried about getting all over the world to tell more people about Jesus, because they're all going to be fine, apparently, right? I don't think, just on the surface, that doesn't make any sense. But here's the key to understanding why that's not what Paul is saying. In verse 17, he said, Much more will those who receive. And if you underline things in your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline that little phrase. Who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't put that word in every verse because he doesn't have to. Right? If we expected each other to say everything we mean about everything we're saying in every sentence that we uttered, we'd never be able to communicate anything. Right? We have to, you have to take things in their context. And so Paul is saying here, this gift that I'm talking about, these, these blessings that flow to us from Christ, they come not to everybody, as in the case of Adam, but they come to those who receive them from Jesus. And that is an active thing, not an automatic thing. You have to turn to Christ. You have to trust Christ by faith. You have to remember that as you're reading this whole passage. Paul's been saying that over and over throughout the whole book of Romans. If you take one or two verses out of chapter 5 and don't think about anything else in Romans, you might be able to persuade somebody that Paul is saying, hey, everybody's going to go to heaven. It's going to be fine. But if you read the whole book, and even if you just read verse 17, you know that's not what Paul is saying. What he is saying is that all of us are in Adam, and as a result, all of us get death and condemnation. But everyone who's in Christ, right, all of us started out in Adam, but if you're now in Christ, if you've turned to Christ, if you've trusted Christ, if you've received the blessings that Christ offers, that means you get forgiveness, you get justification, you get life. Now, where does all this come from? All right, that's the last thing, verses 18 and 19. All of this comes from, this, these different fruits come from Adam's and Christ's different works. Verse 18 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. In other words, all this is traced back to either Adam's sin or Jesus' obedience. From Adam's sin comes death and condemnation. From Jesus' obedience, his one act of righteousness, which either refers to his whole life of obedience or maybe zeroed in on his obedience and giving himself up on the cross in our place for our sin, Either way, it includes that at the least. Right? Jesus' obedience and Adam's sin are what lead to these two different consequences, these two different results for those who belong to him, those who belong to Adam and those who belong to Christ. Now, um, some people kind of chafe at that, right? Because you didn't read hardly anything in there about you. And yet your life hangs in the balance your eternity, right, is shaped by what one of these two men did. Not by what you did. Although you're still accountable for your sin and you have to give an account for your sin. Not saying you're not responsible. But what Paul is saying here is, it's either because of Adam or because of Jesus that you are who you are and that you get what you get. 
we aren't used to thinking of things in those terms, right? But that's what the Bible says. Right? We're used to thinking that way in terms of salvation. We know that it's by grace through faith, apart from works, not anything that we do, so we don't boast or get any credit. Right? But it's also true that we start out sinners before we had a chance to do anything. Right? And that's a result of Adam's sin. So part of what this does is helps us realize that we are in a story that is much bigger than us, that God is much greater than us, and what He is doing in the world goes beyond what we have control over. But here's what we are called to do. You can fuss about being, you know, condemned and guilty and a sinner because of Adam's, you know, representing you badly, but it's not really going to get you anywhere. It's not going to do you any good to argue about that. It just is. But here's what Paul wants us to make sure we do. To make sure that we don't stay in Adam, but that we trust in Christ, that we receive from Him the blessings and benefits that flow from His perfect life, His perfect death, His resurrection, the forgiveness, the justification, the life that He has purchased for us, that He has achieved for us. Paul says, receive that, and then you won't have to worry about what Adam did. Because in Christ, there is now no more condemnation. There is only life and righteousness. So this story is bigger than you and me, right? But we're all caught up in it in some way. And the good news is that God did not leave us in Adam, which he could have done. He could have done. He did not leave us in Adam, but he sent his son to forgive people of sin, to make them new, to give them life, to create a new humanity that would belong to Him by grace and be fit to dwell with Him in a new creation, in a new heavens, and a new earth. What Adam did wrong, Jesus is more than putting right. And everyone who's on His team, everyone who identifies with Him, even though you didn't do anything to deserve it or earn it, you get to share in the victory that Christ is one. And for that, we give thanks and praise to God. Let's pray.